Psalm 56, Psalm 56, and I pray my voice holds out. It's only been three weeks. It's going to be great to get that new body, but it could be a whole lot worse. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, verse by verse, and so we find ourselves in Psalm 56. And you know, as I read those things, I don't want to be careful, I want to be careful and not be pessimistic, because there is a lot of wonderful things we could do with our cell phones. But if you do have teens, specifically teens, uh, grandchildren, you got to be aware of this stuff because it is real. It is real, and we didn't deal with it as teens, most of us. And so we're like, what's the big deal? It's a huge deal for them. And so you can encourage them to get a Bible app on their phone, uh, and they can get a lot of other tools on their phone that, that would relate to the Bible that would be really, really encouraging for them. So if they do have a phone, you, you probably want to encourage them. Uh, because then they can get various translations and they can read the word on their phone. So, again, I'm not totally bashing it. You just have to be aware of what's going on. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that, that you didn't leave us and forsake us, but that you actually did send your Holy Spirit, just like your son said you would. And that as believers, we don't have to stress and struggle through Christianity. We can just rest in the finished work of the cross. And so even this morning, Lord, as we read about David, and we read about the things that he struggled with, that we struggle with them as well. 3,000 years ago, humanity really doesn't change. But Father, we thank you that as we have the Holy Spirit within us, you can transform us. And we can learn and grow through what David wrote 3,000 years ago. It is so relevant. So Lord, help us to be aware. Help us to be attentive for these next few moments in eternity that you truly might increase in our lives. It's the only way we'll decrease. It's the only way is if we allow you to increase. So we surrender our minds, we surrender our souls to you right now, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, let's look at 1 Samuel 21.10, because the scene is set for us in 1 Samuel 21.10. You see, David had to flee from the presence of King Saul, his father-in-law, who was now seeking to kill him. And Jonathan and David had made a godly covenant among themselves, for they both knew that God had chosen David to replace Jonathan's father as king. And this obviously infuriated King Saul. And it was at this point that we're going to read 1 Samuel 21 that the king started to pursue after David, trying to catch him and then kill him so that his own son, Jonathan, would ascend to the throne. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 21, 10 to better understand the song that was written by David. Then David arose... And fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to the king, 
is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, feigned madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva run down on his beard. Isn't that a great picture? Now again, remember, David started to reign when he was 30. He reigned for 40 years and then died. He was chased by Saul approximately 10 years. So you just got to do some simple math. So David right now at this point, as, as he's going through this experience, you know, he's a, he's a strong young man at this point. So he's probably early 20s, late teens, early 20s, because we don't know exactly about the 10 years. So just give or take some. So, you know, this isn't some 30, 40, 50 year old guy drooling here. This is a young kid. A buff guy. David was most likely very strong. And so Achish said to his servants, Look, (laughs) you see this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman? That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David, therefore, verse 1 of chapter 22, David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. Now, this is very interesting. You see, David fled to Gath. Now, what is Gath? Gath is a city of the Philistines, which is, what, which is located and was now known as the Gaza Strip. And as you read the first verse there, you have to remember, now take on the mind of David. Surely no one would recognize him in Gath. I've got to flee from this nutcase, King Saul. So I'm going to go to my enemies, to the enemies of Israel, and no one would recognize me. And you got to think what David was thinking. Young man, Saul will not chase me into the area of the Philistines. So I'll be safe. I'll go to my enemies and I will be safe. That's very important for you and I this morning. I'm I'm emphasizing this. I'm building something here, even in the introduction, because this is you and me. It could, let me rephrase that. This could be you and me. This could actually happen in our lives as well. What's interesting, this was the same city that Goliath was from. Who happened to kill Goliath? Some little kid by the name of David. Huh, I wonder why they don't recognize me or they won't recognize me. That famous Philistine warrior who was nine feet, eight inches tall. He makes Shaq look small. You remember that David didn't go down to fight against Goliath in his own strength or abilities as you read the story of David and Goliath. He went in what? The scriptures tell us he went in the spirit of the Lord. Capital S. The Holy Spirit inspired David to go. 
He must increase. I must decrease. And when the battle actually took place, David didn't flee from the giant as the rest of the Israelite warriors were hiding and fearful. Instead of fleeing, David picked up, you'll remember the story, five stones, put them in his bag, put one stone in his sling, went running at the giant, swinging that sling, and then releasing one string of that sling and sinking that stone Right smack dab in the center of the giant's forehead. And the giant most likely went to his knees, wondering what just happened. And then boom, party's over. But it was not in the power of David. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit. But now we see that David is fleeing from his father-in-law, the king of Israel. And you see, even in this introduction, we see a very important biblical principle. You see, David was taking matters into his own hands. And this is what I mentioned before. You and I, we can find ourselves doing this. Not trusting the spirit of God, but fearing the arm of the flesh, King Saul. We'll leave that slide up there for a moment. Because that is relevant to you and me in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, with our family members. Because fear is real for all of us. And what's the number one fear that most of us have? I mean, besides death, that's the number one fear of life is death. But after that, it's pretty much rejection when we're talking about our Christian faith. When we're talking about sharing the gospel, when we're talking about talking about God or Christ... Uh, I just don't want to be rejected. I I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look humiliated. I don't want to... But the main thing is fear. The enemy brings fear into our lives and we forget, wait a minute, I've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. I've got God dwelling within me. You see, David momentarily forgot that for whatever reason, a young man. And, And I don't think any of us would have been any different. But this is where the teachings of King Solomon, David's son, came into play through Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, many of you probably have these verses memorized. You're already running through it in your mind. So I I wrote it out in the New Living Translation. So just let's look at the slide. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And guys, this is hard for all of us, myself included. With all my heart? I'll give you, I'll give you a 50%, God. I'll give you 65. All right, I'm really going to be gracious here, God. I'll give you 80%, but I got to keep 20% because I just can't trust you totally. I mean, it's just reality. It's hard to give God all of ourselves. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do not depend. Seek his will in all you do. And he, God, will show you which path to take. You see, David, as we look at Psalm 56, he was between a rock and a hard place, literally. But what did he do? He went to the enemy's camp, the Philistines, to flee from another enemy, King Saul. And isn't that just like our spiritual enemy? 
You see, we allow him to bring fear into our lives. And then we run to the world to find our answers. Now, you might want to write that down or take a picture of it. And maybe think about that this week. There is a very deep spiritual principle in that verse right there, in in that sentence right there. It's not a verse. In that sentence right there. We allow the enemy, because greater is he using us than he using the world. So we allow the enemy to bring fear into our lives. And then, instead of running to God, we often run to the world to find our answers. What was David doing? He allowed the enemy, Satan, to bring fear into his life through Saul. And then what did he do? I'm going to go to my enemies because they probably won't notice me. And what do Christians do? Oftentimes, well, I'm going to go back to the world. They won't notice me. And all of a sudden, they'll look at you and go, aren't you a Christian? What are you doing here? I didn't think Christians did that. Why are you living together? I didn't know Christians were supposed to live together. Why are you having sex outside of marriage? And they might not even say that. But guys, you got to know they're thinking that. Especially if you may know that you are a Christian. Now, you might be an undercover Christian and nobody knows, but that's not good. You don't want to be an undercover Christian unless you're embarrassed about your Christian faith and you're living like the devil, so you don't want people to know because then they're going to know. I, I didn't. I thought Christians weren't supposed to do that. Isn't that kind of amazing? That the world who doesn't read the Word of God, that the world, some of them don't even believe in God, they at least know when you say, hey, I'm having sex with my girlfriend, that they'll go, I thought you go to church. Aren't you a Christian? Uh, isn't there something in the Bible that says you shouldn't do that? And if they don't say it, I guarantee you they're thinking it. That's just reality. And so we got to be aware of what's going on in our lives. How about verses 1 and 2, Psalm 56? To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands. So here's another song, but it's... Different words. Same melody. A miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Notice that. Captured him. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O most Hi. David has learned from his mistake. He's able to look back. And so he writes us a song so that we might not make the same mistake. And David goes back to his foundation. God's mercies. God's mercies. Be merciful. Notice immediately. Be merciful to me, O God. Saul's not going to be merciful The Philistines are not going to be merciful right now. And again, remember, he's all by himself. He doesn't have a kingdom. He's running and literally he is all by himself at this point. And then as we just read in the previous verse, after this situation took place, then people started to come to him. So initially he's all by himself and he's got to deal with that. And so he goes back to the reality and he acknowledged that there are many who are seeking after his life. And it is only the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, that they will not succeed. Verses 3 and 4. And I actually have these highlighted in my Bible. Whenever I am afraid, 
I will trust in you. Notice that. Whenever I am afraid. Fear. Fear. It's crazy. This past uh, week I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning because I had read an article uh, earlier in the day about a home invasion. And my mind at 4 o'clock in the morning just started to play games. And I laid there and I'm going through scenarios in my head and I'm just going, oh. And then I started to pray for people. But then I would would go back to that. And by 4.30 I said, ah, forget it. And I just got up and went to my normal devotional spot and read the word and and that cleared my mind and prayed. And then I was able to doze back off and, and get a little more rest. But it's amazing how the enemy works, even at night. It's all about fear. Fear, make you afraid. Whenever I am afraid, I will. Notice that. I will. Because was David trusting in the Lord when he went to the Philistines? Obviously not. Does that make him a bad person? No. That makes him a real person. So much so that he actually wrote it down for you and me so that we could acknowledge, well, we're real people and we get afraid too. So what should I do? Well, I should do what David did. I'm going to trust in the Lord. In God, I will praise His Word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. He questions. I may be taking lots of sips this morning. So in... Again, in David's poor choice to go down to Gath, David went back to his foundation. You see, David realized the poor choices that he had made, and he acknowledges that God would ultimately protect him. How about you and how about me? What can another man do to me? You see, David wrote years later, and we've already gone over this, but we'll throw the slide up in in Psalm 26 and 7. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. And you are, every Bible-believing Christian is anointed. You are anointed. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in their careers. Let's make this applicable to us. Some trust in their 401ks. Some trust in their physical health. Some trust in their brain activity. You're really, really smart. And you've got a lot of head knowledge. And so you trust. Basically, when you get down to it, you trust in yourself more than you trust in God. You say you trust in God, but when it comes down to it, I'll I'll get out of this. I'll figure a way out of this. I'm pretty smart. Some trust in horses. Because again, when we read the Word of God, we could say, well... I don't have a chariot. Yeah, you do. It's got a six-cylinder out there or an eight-cylinder. It can go from zero to 60 really fast. You've got an incredible chariot. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, so signifying the power. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And guys, that needs to be our exhortation for 2018. Because none of us knows what's ahead of us. You know, there's that phrase, um, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. 
It is so important that we remain focused on that and not to trust in our 401k, not to trust in our careers or our hobbies or this or that or whatever it might be, but to be diligent and do all those things. Again, I'm not, if you're new, I'm not negating any responsibilities and it's okay to do all of those things, but don't trust in them. Be responsible, do your due diligence, but don't trust in them. Because they can vanish, just like in 08, they can vanish very, very quickly. All day long, they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Now again, even though we read the story about Gath, this is in relation to King Saul and what King Saul was doing against David. So you want to keep that in the forefront of your mind. They gather together, they hard, they, they hide they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You see, King Saul was going to pursue after David in every way possible. And David was an honest man, a faithful man to those around him, and to the king as well. And King Saul had nothing of substance against David. Now again, you can even think this about yourself, maybe in your own workplace or in your own family. So he made up lies, twisting David's words so that he might gather others against David. And so David asked a simple question, shall they escape their iniquity? You see, he was trusting in God. David knew the answer, and so do we. You see, God will take care of his children, and those who come against them will be judged accordingly. Now, we would like the judgment to happen immediately, but we always have to trust God, that God is merciful, that he is a just God, and that God is even working something out in our lives. You know, when we go through things... We often might think, well, what did I do wrong? You know, you, you, you might not have done anything wrong. But there's still something inside you when things don't go your way. There's maybe anger that rises up. And so God's trying to show you, you know, you, you have a, underneath the surface, you have a little anger issue that I want to deal with. That I want you to correct. That I want you to submit to me so that my Holy Spirit can take that away from you. And it may, maybe it doesn't come out very often, but it's there. You see, even when things are going well, sometimes, and the enemy comes against us, it's not because we're doing something wrong. It's because God wants to mature us. And when we get pressed a little bit, the real flesh comes out, and then we have to deal with that. Because we might think, I didn't know that was there. Now, I think you knew it. You just didn't want to admit it. And so you have to admit it. I have to admit it and say, you know what? I, I need to, I need to, more your Holy Spirit. Give me more of your Holy Spirit. David goes on to say, You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. Notice in parentheses there, I will praise his word. Word, in the Lord, again, God, 
in the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. And he asks the same question again. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? You see, David has basically been exiled by King Saul, as we've already read in Samuel. And yet David knows that God is with him and has a record of where he has been. Where he has been. Not only does God keep a record of where David has been, the Heavenly Father knows the number of tears that have been shed about this situation. You see, I don't think we really appreciate the scarcity of water. And, you know, we, we get water in bottles and we leave bottles around that are half full or a quarter full or a couple sips out. And, and then what do we do when we find them? Well, whose is this? I don't know. Okay, we go over and we dump it down the sink. Or maybe we go outside and put it on a plant. We don't really understand the scarcity of water. And so as you read this, you want to really think about what David is is saying here, because this is very, very important. God, you know the number of our tears, because in that day and age, water was precious. It was super precious. You see, when they were traveling in between towns, they they weren't seeing signs, rest area ahead, 10 miles, with vending machines, and bathrooms, and drinking fountains. There was nothing. Desolation. We've got to make it to our next destination. And they would, they would look over their water containers, whatever those might have been. And if there was a little drip, they would immediately stop and fix that. Because every single drop was precious. You want to understand that as you read these verses, as you cry out to God and you shed tears to God. Does God really care? David is showing us God cares. It's as if God is taking those little tears and putting them in a bottle. It's the intimacy of God. That's what David is showing here. It's the intimacy of God. You see, that's the imagery that David uses here. And again, he equates those thoughts with his own tears. You see, every tear is precious in the sight of God, and he knows the number of them. And you might think, well, that's goofy. That's not true. Well, if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what did Jesus say that was really goofy? He said, my father knows the number of hairs on your head. That's pretty goofy, Jesus. Why did you say that? That, That's not true. Jesus didn't lie. Jesus was showing once again the intimacy of God. Do you care about the number of hairs on your head? I got over it a long time ago. Most of us really don't care, especially if you're going to try to number them. But God does. So when you read this, you got to go, wow, this is precious. God is really concerned about the sorrow of my heart. He is really concerned with who I am. You see, it's when we forget that we might allow the enemy to convince us that our situation or our circumstance, and you might be here this morning in a situation or a circumstance that you think is insignificant to God. But I just want to let you know it's not. That God is not too busy or unconcerned. 
You see, nothing could be further from the truth, but then is the enemy of our souls, is he really concerned about the truth of God? No, Jesus said he's a father of lies. You see, the enemy, think about this. The enemy is the accuser of the believer before our God, Revelation chapter 12. He accuses us before our God day and night. But, as well as the one who accuses God before the believer. What? As the enemy whispers in your ear, where's your God now? Where's your God now? He won't come through, you know. You know he's not going to come through for you. He has no idea what is bothering you. And he could care less. He accuses God, the brethren before God, and then he comes and accuses God before the believer. It's like the teacher in the Charlie Brown series. Remember that teacher? Any of you remember that teacher? She never said any words, did she? I was like, and that's what the enemy does in our ear. And what do we do? We run to the world. We run to the enemy. See, we read a psalm like this. We go, is it relatable? It's young people, you young people, you teenagers, you college students, when the world's yelling at you, the Bible's not relevant. It's archaic. You're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah, if you don't read it, you won't. But if you read it and you study it, you will. Because this is real. And this is you and me. This is reality. The enemy doesn't take a holiday. But you see, David says here that he is concerned and that God is on his side. Well, how did David know that? Because the word told him so. Look at it, verse 10. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. He didn't know that he was writing scripture. He was writing a song. But he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you and me can now go, this is scripture. Wow. David was just writing, pouring out his heart. And so how can you and me get to this level of trust that David was having to work through? That when we make a mistake and go to the world, how can we learn that we're forgiven? And that God cleanses us and forgives us and picks us up and dusts us off and says, get going again. Get going again. By being in his word from Genesis to Revelation. Not just memorizing one verse. Oh, that's my favorite verse. All the Bible. Meditate on the word. Get the word in your brain. You're not going to understand a majority of it. That's irrelevant. Get it in your brain. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Again, verses that you're very familiar with, but that we often forget when it comes crunch time. When our back's against the wall and the forces around us just seem insurmountable, we have to go over the Word of God. Romans 8.33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Right? There's a very important verse. As the enemy's whispering in your ear, you just need to know, well, God's not accusing me. 
You're accusing me, but God's not accusing me. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ, it is Jesus who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I mean, that's a pretty good deal right there. So David goes, or Paul goes on to say, who shall separate us from the love of Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or the stock market or our president or my supervisor or my family members or my neighbor? Just keep adding to the list. Anything you want to throw out there, feel free. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And through what things? And through the things he just listed. The tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the peril of the sword. In all of these things. Now, we don't like any of these things. And if you watch the Christian fiction channel, they'll never talk about any of these things. Because these things will never happen to you. You're just going to be a Christian and you're going to have a happy, hunky-dory life. You're never going to have any problems. Just think happy thoughts. Just think happy thoughts. Everything's fine. Just got hit by a train. No, you didn't. Everything's fine. I'm in the ICU. I think I'm in the ICU. No, you're not in the ICU. Everything's fine. I'm in the ICU. I'm on a ventilator. Yeah, I don't think everything's fine. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life So, the eternal or the temporal, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. And remember, Paul wrote Ephesians, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul understood the spiritual battle that was going on in his life. And that goes on in our lives nor things present, nor things to come. Notice that. He didn't know the future. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to do what? Separate us. But what do we fear? God, where are you? We've been separated somehow. You're not around. I don't sense you. I'm not hearing from you. He's always there. He's within us. But the enemy tries to trick our minds. Where's your God now? No, he's always present. Praise God. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's really key. Because when you and I are going through tribulation or distress or persecution, we might say, well, is this the God of love? I thought God loved me. Is this the God of love? Yes, it is the God of love. He loves you and he's allowing you to go through that to grow, to mature, to be more like his son. And you can read the book of Job and that makes that perfectly clear. That God allows things into our lives that we might grow. And Job had some serious growing to do. Verses 12 and 13. Vows, Psalm 56, made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you, and again, I have these verses highlighted. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have kept my feet from falling. I, that I 
may walk before God in the light of the living. You see, vows here is a promise. And uh, how many of you, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'll just ask a simple question. How many of you, what is it? Today is January 21st. How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? Don't raise your hand, I don't want to see it. Uh, how many people in this country have already broken their New Year's resolution? It's a promise. Well, I promise. It's interesting what people will promise to someone else or to God or maybe even to themselves when they find themselves in trouble or peril especially. In Matthew 5, it says this, if you'd like to turn there, fine. Matthew 5.33, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is the fo- his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. I like that. Just a simple yes, just a simple no. If the Holy Spirit strengthens me and gives me the ability, I say yes. I'm not going to promise you via my own strength or my own power because I will fail you. And this is why so many marriages are struggling today because they're trying to be, they're trying to stay together through their own promises. And they don't have Jesus at the center of their marriages. This is just reality. This is, we've been doing marriage ministry 30 plus years. This is just reality. Marriages are falling apart because Jesus is not at the center. They're trying to do it in their own strength, in their own abilities. And if you're here today and you're struggling in your marriage, it's very simple. Turn to God. Make Jesus. Put Jesus number one in your life. In your life. And if both partners, if both mates are doing that, husband and wife, there's no way that your marriage is not going to be restored. But you both have to commit to that. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this because this is what the Bible tells me to do. I need to be on fire for God and I'm not. I'm focusing on you. I'm not focusing on you anymore. I'm focusing on God. And I'm going to stay focused on God. Now as we look at this verse here, David is not talking about afterlife here, but rather that he might walk rightly in the present world so that he might give a testimony of God's deliverance. That I may walk before God in the light of the living. John eight twelve says this. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, the closer we follow after Jesus, the easier it is to see the path in which he would like us to take. Let's look at these verses. Luke 14, 26 and 27. Luke 14, 26 and 27, as we get ready to wrap it up and the music team can come up. It says, if anyone comes after me, And does not hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And as you look up the word hate there, it means love less, love less. So, and whoever does not bear his cross, 
What's your cross? It's your stinking flesh. It's my stinking flesh. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And a disciple is a Christ follower. You see, we must be willing to forsake all so that we might gain all. That's what Christianity is all about. And again, you won't hear this in in the Christian fiction world. We must die to self. We must be willing to forsake all so that we might gain all. And then let's look at Mark 10, and we'll wrap it up with these verses. Mark 10, 29 through 30. Because the disciples were concerned about this, this mentality. And Jesus taught them in Mark 10, 29, which is applicable to you and me even to this day. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. You see, if you had a tough life with your family and, you know, your dad or your mom or your siblings or whatever the case may be, you know, in our society today, it's not a surprise how many families are having tough times. If you're a believer in Christ, just look around in this room right now because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't get hung up on what you didn't have or what you don't have. Rejoice in what you have. Because you can get so hung up in what you didn't have or don't have that you forsake the assembling of the brothers and sisters. I mean, you're here obviously this morning, but you don't come to a men's Bible study or a woman's Bible study or a Wednesday night or a home group or this, that, or the other. You're not going deeper with the flock. And if you're newer visiting and you're searching for a church, wherever the Lord has you to land, get plugged in. Just don't go on Sunday morning. Get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with, notice this, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Praise God. I'm looking so forward to dying. I'm looking so forward to dying. You know, there's not going to be a million believers in heaven. If you look at the last 6,000 years, there's probably going to be, a billion believers in heaven, if not more. Can you imagine that? And people think, well, I'm going to be bored in heaven. Grow up. You're not going to be bored in heaven. You're going to have, there's no clock. There's no 110 degree days. Praise God. There's no colds or flus. You're going to have your spiritual body, that 25, 30 year old body. You know, you're going to be strong and healthy and good looking. Yeah, everybody's going to be good looking. It's going to be incredible. Why wouldn't you be excited about that? I'm excited about that. Because that's a guarantee as a believer. And plus, I got all the U.S. family members. Praise God. We can pick our friends. We can't choose our family members. So learn to get along on this side of heaven. Because you will on the other side for sure. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you and praise you that wherever we go in this world, and just speaking personally, I've been to distant lands, and I've met other brothers and sisters, and, and it's, you just instantly feel welcomed. You just instantly identify, this is my brother. This is my Egyptian brother. This is my 
Mexican brother. This is my Israeli brother or sister. Father, we just thank you and praise you for that identity. Help us to love one another. And help us to dig deeper in your word and to get closer to one another in these days that we're living in. We so desperately need each other. Father, I just thank you for this time and pray that you bless all of us who are sick that we'd finally get over this stuff. But even use that for your glory. We know you can because you are God. So we just thank you and praise you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Why don't we all stand? God bless you guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you would, keep Karen D. Geronimo in your prayers, Joe and Karen. Um, Karen just was away for, I don't know, 10 days to two weeks, and her mom went home to be with Jesus uh, the, the other morning. She knew Christ. She was, she was elderly, and so they were anticipating it. But it's still always hard to say goodbye to mom, goodbye to dad. So if you'd remember Joe and Karen D. Geronimo, we'd really appreciate it. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Have a blessed week. I needed rescue. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. My chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. You call me a citizen of heaven When I was broken, you were my healing Your love is the air that I'm breathing I have a future, my eyes are open Cause when you call my name I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness into your glorious day You call my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day